All right. Well, good early afternoon, everyone, and it's great to see you. Welcome to everybody watching online. Um, we are going to move forward with our series on the fear of the Lord, and today will be the second part of this message. And there were a few takeaway points from last week. One of them was that the fear of God gets the ear of God, and those who fear God are near to God, and they hear God. That's a lot of ears. <laughs> Basically, when you fear God, there's this closeness with the Lord where you hear him, he hears you, and you're constantly walking in intimate relationship with him at all times. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And if you knew that the angel of the Lord was always around you, you'd never be afraid, even your most desperate times. Some of us are very desperate and very broken and going through very difficult times. But when you walk in a proper fear with the Lord, you have nothing actually to fear because he's near. And if you really knew it and believed it, you would know that he'd deliver you out at all times. That's the understanding of a proper fear of the Lord. Most people don't understand the fear of the Lord. God is not a terrorist. He's a father. But to those that don't know him, he can seem like a terrorist. They have an inaccurate view and understanding of who God is. So when you fear God, you know that God is listening. You know that God is close. You know that God is with you. The fear of God and the love of God are synonymous. If you don't understand the love of God, you'll have an inaccurate view of the fear of God because he's a loving father. And we're submitted to him under his headship and his lordship and his kingship in a family of sons and daughters. The fear of God and the love of God are synonymous. I know God loves me and I know God's for me. And because of that, I also know that I'm a son and he'll discipline me. But until you really understand the love of God and that God's always for you, you'll still run in fear, shame, and control. You'll hide. Instead of running to him, you'll run from him. So those who fear God run to him instead of running from him. Because the truth is, is he's always there and he sees everything already. So hiding is really pointless. You're really hiding from yourself. You're not actually hiding from him. You're hiding from the things inside of you that God wants to deal with. Because God's always there. He already knows. So you might as well just bring it to the light and take no control and have no fear and have no shame. But you can only do that when you understand that God really is for you and not against you and that he loves you. So the fear of God and the love of God are synonymous. The fear of God and the favor of God are also synonymous. They go hand in hand. When you fear God, you get the favor of God. And when you get the favor of God, things always work out for your benefit. Always. All things work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God loves you, we love him. That means no matter the situation, it'll work out in your favor. It may not look like it in the natural, but God's a good God. He gives you the right perspective and understanding so that you keep pressing forward and you don't shrink back. <clears throat> Those who truly fear God will worship God. They'll truly cry out in authentic worship and never hide and shrink back in shame, no matter what they've done or where they've been. Because they realize he's the source of all your need, no matter what you're going through. And in fact, especially when you've fallen short or failed, or 
you're hurting, those are even the more and better times to praise God because you know he's the source of what you need. So instead of coming in and cowering back and sitting back, you cry out. And you realize that I have to depart from that. So I see like an airplane or an airline that says freedom on it and the terminal says evil and bondage and fear and shame. Get on the plane and fly away. God has this ability to take you out of it. You can't stay camped at the terminal. We're going to talk more about the, the fear of God and, the, and how it leads us to worship in a series that I'll be teaching on called Heavenly Family or Heavenly Worship soon. The fear of God restrains us. Let me give you probably one of the best examples of being restrained in the fear of, restrained in the fear of God. It's because the fear of God that I don't do the things that maybe I want to. It restrains me. Okay? A great example would be Joseph and Potiphar. So Joseph's human trafficked into Egypt and bought his slave owner, his owner was Potiphar. But Joseph has so much favor. In fact, Joseph had favor everywhere he went because of the mercy of God, even in prison. He's at Potiphar's house and Potiphar trusts him and puts him in charge of everything. And the way I read the scripture is here comes Potiphar's super attractive, hot wife coming for him. And Joseph doesn't buy into it because he's restrained and has the fear of God. And what he said was, I will not sin against the Lord. And I've thought about that often, that when I do something against someone else or use them, or when I used to sleep with people, or when you do things that you shouldn't do to other people, it's like, man, I sinned against you. No, you actually trespassed against him because there'd be no understanding of sin had God not, God not defined something as sin. So when you sin, you actually sin against him and his nature and who he is. So when I sin against you, I'm actually, or when I trespass against you, I'm sinning against him because he set the standard. Look, it is what it is. People are like, why can't I have sex before marriage? Because God said you shouldn't because it breaks covenant and he knows what's best for you and it will destroy you. I realize you may want to do those things, but God already defined that, uh-uh-uh. This is a boundary and a standard you don't want to cross because it'll destroy you. If you shack up, you crack up because he understands all of the ramifications that come in broken covenant and broken covenant relationships. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I'm for you. He loves you. He cares about you, but he put the standard in place. So when you sin in a sense with somebody else, you sin against him. So if I do something to you, I do it against him. I trespassed against you. That's why David said, heck no, I'm not going to sin against God because he was restrained. But here's the beautiful thing. When you don't walk in the fear of God in the moment and you sin and you compromise, the fear of God will actually bring you back into repentance. So what we want is the fear of God that keeps you but the truth is, we will all make mistakes and fall short. Many of us have, and many of us will. And when you do, the fear of God and the love of God draws you back to him to repent. Here's another great biblical example of this point. David and Bathsheba. So David has an affair with Bathsheba, another man's wife. She gets pregnant. He puts 
her husband on the front line to be killed and doesn't think anything twice about it. I would imagine God was dealing with him personally, but we don't know that. It took the seer to call him out. The prophet comes and calls him out. And what does he do? He repents authentically. And it's in that repentance that made him a man after God's own heart. Were there consequences to the sin? Yes. But God would still maintain the promise even in the midst of the discipline and the consequence. So the fear of God not only restrains you, but when you stumble, it's the fear of God that causes you to repent and turn back. So last week we talked about don't run from God, run to him. Never run from God. I'm, this is the most, one of the most important things I can tell you is when you fall short and fail, never run from him, run to him because he loves you and he's for you. And I use the example of my son. I use my son a lot because I have a daughter who's nine who tends to walk the straight and narrow way more consistently than my son. And I love my son to know he's a mini me, he's just like me. He's got this like, there's no straight and narrow, it's left, right, left. It's like not staying on the path. And so the best thing that my son could do when he is needing to be corrected or disciplined is come to me and let's sit down and have a conversation instead of running from me. He stands a way better chance of obtaining mercy if he comes to me than if he runs from me. It's the same situation for us. When we walk in pride and resist God, his face comes against us and the situations and circumstances don't look good. But when we run to him, we stand a much better chance of obtaining mercy because God's full of mercy and we all need mercy, right? We all need mercy and God is merciful. Without the fear of God, you wouldn't repent. The fear of God or we fear God because he loves us first and we love him and we know that he has the best intentions for us. I always have the best intentions for my children. God always has the best intentions for you, always. And so because of that, here's another great point is that you should never be afraid of the discipline of God. You should never be afraid of the discipline of God. Why? Because if you're not being disciplined by God, biblically, you're not a son, you're illegitimate. If I don't discipline my children, I'm not actually treating them as sons. Remember, discipline and discipleship go hand in hand. And I understand that for many of us, when I start talking about spiritual spankings, discipline, correction, it can be triggers. Some of, some of you had very abusive dads or parents or grew up in very dysfunctional situations. But the beauty about the Lord is, is he does it right and then shows you how to do it right. Just because it was done wrong doesn't mean you should fear it or run from it. So the truth is you should never fear the discipline of the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you in a sense that I want the discipline of the Lord sometimes, but I know the discipline of the Lord is always for me. And if God doesn't discipline me, I'll go sideways and do things that will not only hurt myself, but hurt other people and hurt him. So God knows what's best. So in the fear of God, there's this mindset and understanding that the father knows best. And I don't want to be an illegitimate child. And I don't want you to be an illegitimate child. So when you fear God, you don't fear his discipline, even, no, even though you know this is going to hurt. When I, got, when I finally got busted with 17 hits of LSD, now I'm going to tell you my story. There's no shame in my story. When I finally got busted, 
I realized that I had gotten away with so much in my life that my number was up. Any you ever been there? I'm like, how did I not get caught all those other times? Because it was the mercy of God. Had I gotten caught, I'd still be in prison, dead or in a coffin. But finally, the trap sprung. The devil thought he had me, but really it was the Lord. Because in the natural man, the devil got me. I'm going to prison. It's going to be terrible. But, but really, it was God's mercy that brought it to an end. So I served a year in prison, which turned to be the, one of the best years of my life. I tutored illiterates. I learned the Bible. I got spirit-filled. And I came out healthy and stronger and clean and on fire for Jesus. Thank God for prison. So God actually used the circumstance. But when I got caught, I knew that it was the Lord finally bringing me to a place of total dependency. I just knew it on my inside because had I gotten busted with all the other things, it would have been way worse for me. So it's kind of like, I know this is going to hurt, but I'll take it because I know it was for my good. I know it was for my best interest. And I didn't fully understand it at the time because I didn't know Jesus. So I kicked and I bowed up, but I finally understood. But at first I was like, I'm a nonviolent offender. How could they throw me in prison? I just got busted for drugs. I mean, it was only acid to teenage, selling acid to teenagers. What's the big deal? That's how deceived I was. But once God got a hold of me, I started to actually feel remorse for what I had done. I started to realize what I had done was destroy kids and teenagers' lives. It was a horrible thing. And it was God's mercy that I was only getting a year in prison. Honestly because I could have been there for five to 10 or a lot longer. Seriously. So God's compassion and mercy was what was actually saving me in the process of it. But I had brokenness and repentance and I had a contrite spirit, which made me a real sacrifice to God. And so we have to teach children why it's wrong. We have to teach children the fear of the Lord. I don't ever want my kids to be afraid of me. They can sometimes feel fear for the discipline, but they still even need to know the disciplines for their best interest, which requires a conversation, which requires an explanation sometimes, which requires sit down, listen, sit down. And I know you're crying your eyes out. I know you're in, you're in trouble, but look at me. I want to have a conversation with you. Now, I want you all to understand, I don't actually spank my kids a lot because I don't have to. The few times that I have has taught them I mean business when I mean business. And more often than not, when my children are already crying, already in meltdown mode, I know that they already feel bad for what they have done and they get mercy. My kids get mercy a lot. I show my kids a lot of mercy. And just because your parents didn't do it right doesn't mean you can't do it right. Don't go to one extreme or the other. Make God your me the father your measuring standard. If you don't discipline or get disciplined, you treat your children like illegitimate sons and you, get, you treat yourself like an illegitimate son. I understand it's tough. I understand it's hard. But you have to because if not, they'll go so far off track and do the things that I did. And I don't want my kids to do that. So it might hurt and the discipline of the Lord isn't always fun, but it always produces something really great in your life. It always does. So you have to first understand that God is a just God. Everything he does is just. There's nothing that God does that's injustice. Not one thing. He's always just every time. So if you're dependent upon him, it'll always work out for your good. Justice will always prevail. 
no matter what. Even when in just see, Jesus experienced the ultimate of injustice, but it turned out for full justice because he did nothing wrong or deserving. Everything Jesus did on the cross was because of us. Our stubbornness, our obstinance, our sin, because we could never save ourselves. So he made the sacrifice. He struck the covenant on the cross, which in turn made a way. And it also gave us a Messiah and a Savior that understands hardship and difficulty and adversity. So he's sympathetic. Because he passed through the heavens and died on the cross, he can understand your hardship and your difficulty and have compassion and sympathy. He knows what it feels like to feel forsaken. When he was on the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Was he forsaken? Did he feel forsaken? Do you sometimes feel forsaken? Yes. So Jesus understands. You can always be dependent upon him. Humility always comes before honor, but pride always comes before destruction. Humility always comes before honor, but pride always comes before destruction. So when you remain prideful and keep trying to live your life your own way and chase after your own things and not be dependent upon the Lord, what happens is is those things actually work against you. And now you find yourself in situations and circumstances where it's actually the Lord, but you think it's the devil. God's actually confounding your way to bring you to your end because God doesn't want you to keep doing things your own way. He wants you to be humble and dependent. And when you stay humble, he'll lift you up every single time. It's an oxymoron to not want the discipline of God. Now, I've never said this before, but hear me out. It's an oxymoron to not want the discipline of God that would make you an illegitimate son or daughter. If you didn't understand the purpose of the discipline of God, here's the deal. I have to have people in my life that correct me and direct me and even bring discipline into my life. Otherwise, I will hide and isolate myself. And what happens if I get sideways? But instead, I live my life in the light and I have people that can correct me. The challenge is, is we get our rear ends hurt when somebody comes to correct you and direct you and you don't understand that correction's for your benefit. Now, if it's done in religious, in a religious, unhealthy way, it's not going to benefit you. But if it's done from the Father's heart, it will always benefit you. And so this thing about the discipline of God and the fear of God are very important for you to understand. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. Don't despise the chastening or discipline of the Lord. And don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Now, to despise means I think little of it or I could care less about it. It means also that I reject it or maybe I don't want it. But I understand that if there's something in me that I need correction or discipline in, I want God to bring that into my life so that it makes me more like him and it makes me more of a son. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges. This word scourge, is the word spiritual spanking. God gives spiritual spankings. Verse six, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And spiritual spankings aren't fun, but if there's something that is in my life that's unhealthy or that I'm obstinate again or that I've done that needs correction, what I have to understand, God's only doing it because he loves me and he's for me and he wants the best that's for me. He has the best intentions for me. 
So I don't run from it. I don't despise it. Neither should you. You know, my kids, this is how I teach my kids. When you mess up, don't run. Come, come sit down. Look, look me in the eye. Why did you do that? What was it that, why did you feel that way? Now, I'm going to give you a spanking because you need to understand you can never, ever do this again. And what you did is equal to this type of punishment. I love you. I'm for you. And I, and I know that you feel remorse, but don't be discouraged. This is going to work out for your good. This is going to keep you on the right track. Okay? Now, it doesn't always go exactly like that. Sometimes in, there's the discipline and then there's the discussion. But you have to be spirit-led and bridled by the Heavenly Father and how you give discipline to your children. So I don't want my son or daughter to be discouraged, nor do I want them to despise it because I'm a father. I'm not their best friend. I can be a friend to them, but I'm first a father. And I'm sorry to everyone here that maybe didn't have a good dad, but here's the great news. You have a dad like you never had. You have a heavenly father that loves you. He cares for you. Verse seven, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Now, I'm going to say something about this question. I'm not out to change the Bible. I'm just going to tell you there are fathers that don't discipline their children. And I'm seeing kids today, they got free reign and access to iPads and iPhones and to watch anything that they want. And then they don't understand why their son or daughter went sideways and fully gave themselves into the things of this world. I'm my kid's dad. I watch everything that they watch. My wife is my kid's mom. We know what they listen to, what they watch. We watch what they see. We control it because they, and then we're teaching them how to have conviction too. So for example, uh, something came up on the TV that was, that was not right or not healthy and my daughter felt convicted by it and came and said, hey, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't seem right. And that's ultimately where we want to go, but we have to teach them that. And so verse eight, if you're without chastening of which all have become partakers or disciplined, you're illegitimate and not sons. So that leads back to my point. I would never say to myself, I don't want the discipline of the Lord because that's me. That would be me saying, I don't want to be in the family. I would be illegitimate. You're not an illegitimate son. In fact, you are too legit to quit. Let's say it together. Say, I'm too legit to quit. Come on, some of you didn't say it. Say, I'm too legit to quit. Now, I could not give you a better analogy in the context of this point. Because I'm a legitimate son, I can endure it. I won't despise it. I won't be discouraged. Let's just say those together. Say, I can endure it. I won't despise it. And I won't be discouraged. That's right. Now, what happens is, is if you continue to remain obstinate over long periods of time, then what happens is the discipline gets harder and worse over time. Right? So, for example, one of the worst things I could do to my kids right now, it's probably worse than a spanking, is take away their iPad time. Now, they only get an hour a day, our kids, one hour a day. So can you imagine how important that hour of the day is? They play games. They watch stuff that we approve. But that hour to a seven and eight-year-old is, like, important. So it's like, okay, listen, what you, what you did was not okay. Like my son the other day. I'll tell some stories today. 
We were at breakfast. My son says, I'm sorry, we were at lunch at Jason's. He chows down his piece of pizza and he's got the crust. He says, does anybody want my crust? I said, no, nobody wants your crust. And he, he says, yeah, you want my crust. And he threw the crust in my salad. I said, I said, son, I told you, I, I was upset because it was defiant. I said, I told you, son, I didn't want your crust. Why did you do that? He goes, sticks his tongue out at me. He doubled, he bowed back up on me. I was like, okay, iPad gone today. What? I didn't know I was going to lose my iPad. I said, if you do it again, you're losing it for five days. Guess what? He didn't do it again. And I told him, I said, son, I love you. But that was disrespectful what you did. And it was dishonorable. You're so, you're treated so well. The fact that you do that. And I told you I didn't want, and then you stuck your tongue at me and made a face of me. I'm not okay with that. I suggest you change your attitude real fast or it's going to get a lot worse. That's fathering. Okay? I'm for him. I love him. But if he continues to stay that way, the, the consequences of his actions go higher. It never changes my love. In fact, if I don't do that, I'm not treating him with love. So we must have a regard for the discipline of the Lord, not despise it. And when God brings a spiritual spanking to your life, stop blaming the devil. Just, just understand. Sometimes it's the enemy, sometimes it's not. But what is the spiritual spanking? What does it mean to be scourged? Well, there's a lot of different ways that God could spank you. Sometimes it's just this inside admonition that I know I messed up and I feel terrible for it. That's a good thing. That's godly sorrow. And when my son, and when I demonstrate genuine godly sorrow, guess what you get most of the time? Mercy. Sometimes it's confounding your situation. Sometimes it's removing things out of your life. And here's the deal, guys. I want things added to, not removed. I don't want things taken away from me. Just like my son doesn't want his iPad taken away. I don't want something taken away from me. So I live in dependence upon the mercy and the kindness of God in the fear of the Lord because God's been so good. I don't want to despise the grace of God. I don't want to despise the favor of God. I don't want to despise the love of God. So in turn, I'm quick to repent and I don't stay obstinate by continuing to live contrary to his design. Do you understand? Now, God loves you. He's for you. He cares about you. Always keep running to him. He's the ultimate decider of what, you, what happens in the context of the discipline, not me. But the best thing that you could do is live dependent inside the fear of God and understand that God loves you. And yes, he will discipline you. How, will, how intense will that discipline be? That's up to the Lord based on the situation, not based on me. Okay? So there's two extremes. The question was, what father among you would not discipline his children? And my response to that is, there's a lot. 
But there's also fathers that go to the extreme and discipline them ungodly. Both are extremes and both are not by God's design and both are in or in absence of the fear of God. If, if, you, if you abuse a child or abuse your children or whip them, and let's say that you have in the past because that's what your dad did. And look, there's a lot of broken people that walk in this church to get healing. Don't walk in shame. It's all that you knew and you're forgiven. It doesn't mean it's okay. It means that you were in deception because you didn't know. Forgive yourself, forgive yourself and move forward because God will forgive you. Your past doesn't define you. You genuinely did not know better. And even if you think you did and you did it, you didn't know better because you didn't know the father's love. And if you had a dad like that, you need to forgive him because he didn't know any different. And most of the time, dads are acting just like their dads and their grandparents were and how they were raised. But now you get a new dad to teach you and train you the right way. Okay? If I don't teach on this stuff, you're not going to learn sometimes. Remember, the fear of the Lord has to be taught. So you're being taught the fear of the Lord. If you stay prideful and unbridled, it's not going to be a pretty sight. But if you stay broken and humble and merciful, it's going to be beautiful. The fear of God and obedience, listen to this point. The fear of God, I got this with my friend. I was over at Keith's office and I was sitting there and we were reading Oswald Chambers, all his... uh, Keith was like a kid in a candy store just reading me lines from all of his sermons and I started getting these downloads and I wrote down, I wrote this down. The fear of God and obedience go hand in hand. When I'm not obedient, I don't truly fear him. Obedient, I'm obedient to him first, then I'm obedient in how I treat others. The fear of God is complete dependency on him with no dependency on myself. This is a hard thing to say, but it's a truthful saying. There's nothing good within me except Jesus. Anything outside of Jesus is not good. So I'm totally dependent on him, right? And I'm constantly living at the cross. I have to have the cross active in every area of my life, which means it's a crucifixion to everything inside of me that's not of him. And you need to let him do it. And sometimes we buck and kick and scream and your flesh is crying out. But let me tell you something about your flesh. The more you sow to the flesh, the more your flesh cries out. The more you sow to the spirit, the more you reap from the spirit and it crucifies the flesh. They're always at war with each other, always. Listen, I live in the war too. I just choose to sow to the light and choose to sow to the spirit because if I don't, it's a snowball effect where the flesh gets out of control. So you have to crucify that flesh every single day. And I do that because of the fear of God. Because I don't want to sin against him or anybody else. I don't want to trespass in anybody else's life. So the fear of God keeps you yoked to God. The fear of God keeps you yoked to God. So we won't teach on the scriptures today, but I'll allude to them. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30 talks about, and I'll paraphrase it for you. Are you wore out? Are you exhausted? Are you not sleeping good? Are you full of fear with what's going on in the world around us? Is it constant anxiety and um, nightmares and worry and doubt and restlessness and spinning out on drugs and porn and you're tired and you have no peace or no rest in your life? Then Jesus says, I'm for you. I'm your guy is what Jesus says. He says, here's what you need to do. Come to me and learn from me. I'm gonna instruct you. If you'll come to me and learn from me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap something around your neck. 
I'm, I'm putting a yoke on you. So you don't go, keep going your own way. I'm yoking you up. Now, here's the thing about a yoke. A yoke is designed for oxen to plow together in the field. If you're not yoked to Jesus, you're plowing alone. And at some point, you get tired of plowing alone. That's probably why most of us are here at Rock City Church. So what makes Rock City Church what it is. Lots of people that plowed through life by themselves and are tired of doing it. Now, when you hook up to Jesus's yoke, or in, the, in general, a yoke is this mindset that I only have so much strength. One ox only has so much strength, but when you put them with two or four or six or 12 or whatever the number is, everybody's strength gets harnessed together to now plow the field. But that's not even the way it works in the kingdom because with oxen, in a sense, it's equal strength. In the kingdom, it's you're really weak and broken and have no strength, hook up to the one with all the strength. And he actually says, I'm going to make it easier for you because I've already plowed the ground and died on the cross. When you yoke up to him in your weakness, your brokenness, your addiction, your hurt, your pain, who who did he say this to? The tired, the wore out, the restless. Who is this scripture for? Those that have been plowing alone. So you get hooked up to the yoke. The fear of God and the yoke of God go hand in hand. And when you fear God, you get yoked to God because I'm tired of doing it by myself. Take my advice today, beloved. You do not want to plow anymore on your own. Just get it now. You don't even need to go through the hardship and the adversity. Well, you might, but you can have less of it if you'll heed my instruction. If you'll hook up to Jesus's yoke, guess what? The plowing gets a lot easier. And then he says this. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I'm lowly and gentle. You know what lowly and gentle means? He'll meet you right where you're at. See, because this is the thing. We often think I have to get good enough to get to God. It doesn't work like that. What it means is I have to be broken and God will come to me where I'm at. God will meet me where I'm at. He takes you as you are. Get hooked up to him and stop plowing in your own strength. Have a submitted fear to God and don't give up. He'll see you through. I'm telling you, every single time, he'll see you through. But don't be stubborn and prideful. So the fear of the Lord must be taught and learned. Let's look at a few scriptures. We're going to dig into a lot of Psalm 34. This is a very interesting psalm. David actually wrote this when he was on the run from Saul. And he went into enemy territory to find reprieve and strength from an enemy king who was probably going to kill him. And so he fiend insanity. And in my mind, I'm like, man, David was so off course. He was so crazy. He acted like he was crazy, but he got out. And I'm thinking, man, sometimes you got to do whatever you got to do. And God was on it. And then David discovers the beauty of the fear of the Lord. And he penned Psalm 34. Okay. This is why I see people in their most crazy state and they may even be feigning insanity, but God's going to show himself to you if you trust him and you fear him. So look what he says in Psalm chapter 34, verse 11. Come here, come here, son. Have a seat. I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. Remember, the fear of the Lord must be taught. Now, there's two ways that the fear of the Lord gets taught. All of us will learn the fear of the Lord through the circumstances of life. You will learn it one way or the other. Stop using your good looks and your hot bodies and your talents and your gifts and your money for your own gain. You're going to learn it one way or another, and that stuff's going to fade. 
You can't stop the sag. You can't fight gravity. And God has this way. I'm telling you right now, heed my voice, children. God has a way. But there's another way, and that is also the way of instruction. We teach our children, and we also teach one another the fear of the Lord, like I'm teaching you today. So first, I'm going to do some teaching on, the, on how you learn the fear of the Lord. Recognize your own depravity. Depart from evil and cry out. Deliverance comes from fearing God, and God comes to the rescue. So Psalm 34, verse 6. Everybody say this with me, please. Say, this poor man. This. Say it like you mean it. This poor man. What does this poor man mean? This poor man means I recognize my state, my own depravity without God and my need for God. See, God always responds to humility and need, but he always resists pride and arrogance. He always responds to humility and need. This poor man did what? He cried out. Now, I know some of you, based on your personalities, like I'm never going to cry out in church. I wish you would. I want you to, but I'm not going to force you to. And so it's like, man, I'm not going to cry out. Let me tell you, let me give you some help. Okay? Take a little drive to Padre Island National Seashore. Or we're locals here. Now that the tourists are gone or almost gone, you get your beaches back. You know how many times I've drove to the beach? I got out there and nobody for two miles that way, nobody for two miles that way. And I cry out. You might not do it here. I'm okay with that for now. Because I understand the power of crying out. Sometimes if you go cry out in the private, it will give you confidence to do it in the public. There's an insecurity, a self-conscious thing. Cry out in your car. Nobody's out there. Be the crazy person at the red light when they look over and you're like crying, screaming, and they're like, Who, what is the matter with you? Who cares? But some of you understand it's tough. So I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the beach and I've gone for a walk. We live in a most amazing place. But maybe you're watching online. Go find a, a park. Go find a hilltop or a mountaintop. Go to a place where you can get alone with God and cry out because there's something powerful about crying out. Why? Because cry, crying out comes from poor men. Let me say that again. Crying out comes from the recognition of dependency. This poor man cried out. This poor man cried out. That's why I tell you, when you come into church, worship no matter where you've been or what you've done. Lift your hands up, get your eyes off everybody around you, Many times I have to move all the way to the front because I don't want to be distracted. Or when I'm playing, I close my eyes because it's, it's, it's me and the Lord. And I'm crying out to God. And I'm getting intimate with him. This poor man cried out. And what happened? Again, those who fear God are, hear God and are near to God because the fear of God gets the ear of God. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and did what? Rescued, delivered, protect. You remember the, the definition of salvation. First he rescues, then he protects, defends, delivers, makes you, and makes you into be who he's called you to be. That's salvation. All right? Verse seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who what? So 
this, here's the most awesome thing about this scripture is if I know the angel of the Lord is around me in my most desperate state, I have nothing to fear. In my most broken state, I have nothing to fear. Even if I blew it up, bombed it, and was the cause, you know, I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Some of you are like, man, I stumbled and fell into sin. Some of y'all didn't stumble. You did a triple flip back <laughs> swan dive, no splash dive, perfect 10 into the pool. You're like, I fell. Oh, yeah. You were an Olympic center is what you were. But God still takes you back, doesn't he? And so what we understand is the best thing you can do is, is in a sense, instead of running, hiding, and pretending, just bend over. <laughs> Write that down. Take that one out of context. <laughs> the next thing about the fear of the Lord is that you'll lack nothing when you fear God. You lack nothing when you fear God. Psalm 34, 9 through 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you, who, you his saints. Oh, fear the Lord, Rock City. Fear the Lord. There is no want to those who what? Fear him. Young lions may lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So the fear of the Lord leads to the seeking of the Lord, which then leads to lacking no good thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning I'll have no lack and God will provide every provision that's needed because I'm dependent upon him. Proverbs 22, 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Who would like riches, honor, and life? We all would. The key is that we don't chase after riches, honor, and life. We chase after the Lord because we're dependent and we have an accurate fear of him. You guys remember my story when I got my very first job in the corporate world? I would, all I had done prior to that was wait tables. I was a professional table waiter. And I got a job with a tax and accounting software company. And my first job was $15,000 a year, $7.50 an hour. I'm sitting in an office cubicle, calling out, making phone calls all day on returned business cards. I was miserable because I'm an extrovert and I love people. And you hide me up in a little office cubicle to make phone calls all day. It was brutal. And half my phone calls, if somebody answered, we were having conversations about life. <laughs> So finally, I said to the Lord, I said, God, I'm miserable. I hate this job. You know what God said? If you don't chase after money, position, and fame, and, chase, and if you'll chase after me, those things will chase after you. So when you chase after God, provision, growth, expansion, uh, great gain, wealth, riches, and honor, they chase after you. Listen to me. I'm teaching you all something very important because the world is going to teach you, maybe even your parents that don't know this are going to teach you, chase after careers and money and be the good provider. Those things become your master. You can only have one master. And even in nobility of chasing after money, it may seem noble. Like, hey, I want to make a lot of money to give $10,000 a month to missions. That may sound noble, but the problem is if my ambition is to make a lot of money, it becomes my master, even in the name of right. I only want the Lord to be my master in a sense or my leader. And so when you chase after him, 
God was saying, those things will chase after you. Take my advice now. Learn this now. But what happens if you don't chase after him? You chase after that. Those things rule you and control you and you're never satisfied. And that's the discipline of the Lord. Have you ever been in a spot where you're never satisfied? Nothing satisfies you. No food, nothing. Nothing brings peace and joy to your life. That's by design because God wants to be the sole source of your peace and joy. Fear leads to running to him, not running from him. And in turn, you lack nothing. Psalm 34, 12 through 14. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Who is he? That's you too. Do you desire life and love many days and want to see good? I do. How about you? Well, let's start with your mouth. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Why? Here's the thing. A good first step for some of us would be don't type it, don't say it. That's a good first step. But if you want to type it and you want to say it, then we need to deal with what the deeper root is and expose it to the Lord. Sometimes there's things I just tell you, I want to do things that I shouldn't do. I'm going to tell you a story about that here in just a little bit. I'm going to tell myself today. One of the best things you can tell on yourself. See, if you're telling yourself the devil's got nothing to say because you're not in hiding anymore. And so if you desire long life, we're going to start first by what you say because what you say is a direct result of what's in your heart. From the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. Okay? So first thing is your mouth. Keep your tongue from evil and deceit and get your heart healthy. The second is verse 14. Depart from evil. Get out of the turmoil and get on the freedom plane or the freedom train. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So next is your actions and your lifestyle. It's not just by what I say, but how I live. I have to depart from evil personally. I have to do good and I have to seek and pursue peace. This is, wisdom. this is wisdom and a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. I seek peace. I pursue peace. I want to do good. I want to depart from evil personally. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the, his ears are open to their cry. So if you really knew that God was this close and that you could never hide and that God was always there, you would depart from evil. At least I know I do because his eyes and his ears are on me. He's super close. I can never hide, ever. So when you vomit and blow up, instead of taking control and being afraid and walking in shame and running from him, you run to him. God's watching and listening. His eyes are on us and his ears towards us, the righteous. And when trouble comes, you get delivered because he is close. But the wicked and those who do evil, his face is against, and they get cut off with no legacy. Look at Psalm 34, verse 16. Psalm 34, 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So the way I see it is we have two choices in life. Live a long life, see goodness all the days of our life, which would lead to the desires of your heart versus fighting with God and his face being against us and a, prematuring, a premature thwarting of our destiny. I call it forfeiting. Now, I could forfeit destiny in my life 
by getting off track with my wife, my family, personally in this church. But I don't want to do that because I want to see good life and have good long days. And I fear the Lord. So what I choose to do is stay humble, broken, and I choose to have a good accountability group around me of people that watch my life, see my life, and I don't isolate myself. And I tell on myself. So I'm going to tell on myself right now. I'm going to tell you guys a story that is something I messed up in. I, I, I made a mistake, and I did something I shouldn't have done, which caused me to repent. I'm going to publicly confess it. Take a deep breath. It's not as bad as maybe you think it's going to be. <laughs> but it happens. And the thing is, if I only tell you about the overcoming and the good times, I also, you also need to see the fight and the struggle too. Okay, because we all fight these fights and we learn to be bridled. And this is one of the best contexts that I can teach you in the context of the fear of the Lord. So the other night, I was coming back from Port Aransas. Um, my roaster friend, Bobby, was in town and they were staying out in Port Aransas. And I had the kids with me and Kevin Prosh was with me. And we were coming back. It was a little late. Kids were tired. You know, they were grumpy. It's, you, when you put three kids 10 and under in the back seat at 10 o'clock at night, it's meltdown mode. Okay, so we pull up to the light here at the turnaround to go home here in the bluff. And the kids are in the back seat and they're like bickering and getting on each other and melting down and pinching and torturing. And I'm getting madder and madder at them. Now, this isn't where I messed up. I look back and I'm dealing with them a little bit and I'm correcting them and I'm kind of getting on them to you know, stop doing what they're doing. And while I was doing that, I'm in my truck my foot's on the brake, but as I'm looking back, my foot must have slightly come off the brake and I rolled into the car in front of me and barely bumped the guy in front of me. I barely bumped him. There was zero damage. It was one of those just barely like tapped his truck. So I got out and I said, man, I am so sorry. I said, I got kids in the back seat. It's late, and I was kind of turned around, getting on me. He says, well, you should have been paying attention. I'm going to call the police. Oh. And I was like, listen, bro, there's no damage. You don't need to call the police. He goes, no, no, there might be damage underneath that we can't see. And I went from zero to 100. I full scale. I haven't been this mad in a long time. Now, I didn't cuss him, cuss at him, but I wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> I'm serious. I wanted to punch him in the face. It is what it is. I was, I was very upset. And I'm like, bro, there's no damage. And I didn't yell, but I might have raised my voice. I'm like, bro, there's no damage. None. You don't need to call the police. He's like, oh, no, no, no. There could be something up underneath the truck. I'm like, you are such an idiot. Y'all better have mercy on me. <laughs> and he's like, I can see you're really upset. I said, yeah, I'm upset because it's late. I got kids in the car and there's no damage and you're going to call the police. I said, listen to me. Look at my license plate. It says Rock City. I pastor the church right over there on the corner. 
I'll give, and I'm telling that because I'm going to give him my, I'm like, let me give you my name and number, my insurance. I'm not going to lie to you. He goes, oh, I don't know that I can believe you. I'm calling the police, 911. And I just escalated. I was so, can I just tell you I was mad? I was mad. And then I just stormed off into my truck. And I was, I mean, I was shaking mad, shaking mad. Here comes the police. Police show up. I get out. I explain to the officers, like, look, I barely touched the guy's truck. I have kids in the car. It's late. Yes, it was my fault, but there's no damage whatsoever. I barely tapped the guy's truck. So then they go and talk to the other guy. The officer comes back. He says, look, I don't see any damage. I'm not even going to file a police report because I don't file police reports unless it's under $1,000, but I don't see any damage. And then the officer advised me to take pictures. And then the guy's like, well, I need to get your number anyway. So I scribbled the number down and practically threw it at him. (laughs) That's how I remember. I may not have, but I really did give him my name and number. And I was mad. And when I got home, the Lord started dealing with me. Oh, man, I felt horrible for the way I acted. Because how do I not know that that wasn't a setup from the Lord somehow? Or why wouldn't I have walked more in the fruit of the Spirit and at least genuinely, maybe I could have prayed with the guy. I certainly could not have been in the flesh, but I got in the flesh and God dealt with me. And it wasn't so much, look, I feared the Lord enough to not punch the guy in the mouth. But that's not a justification. And I hope he calls me because I want to tell him I'm sorry. Because I, I did not act the way that I should have acted and I missed a great opportunity. And the truth is, is that I was not in the spirit in that moment. And sometimes that happens. But because I love the Lord enough, I realized there's no justification for how I acted. I should not have acted that way. And I repented to God. And if he calls, I will repent. Because I'm not out to coddle or protect anything. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I want to be honest. I want to live in the light. And there are times that we get into the flesh, but you got to run back to God. And the more that you have your eyes on the Lord with restraint in the fear of God, the less you will do things like that. I don't remember the last time I've ever done that. Seriously. I don't remember the last time I got that mad. But thank God. Thank God that I'm bridled. Thank God I didn't punch the guy. Could you imagine Rock City pastor in jail punching a guy at a red light? It still would have been a funny story and we all would have laughed, right? At some point. Some of y'all would have probably left the church, but I would have, we ultimately would have laughed in the end. Pastor behind bars for punching a guy in the face. It would not have been funny at the time. But, there, but still, for some, the fact that you didn't act that way would have been a restraint in the fear of God. The mindset is that I'm submitted to him. You work for him. You don't work for anybody else. Your boss really, he may be your earthly boss, but you have a boss above him. And when you work, you do all things to that boss, not your, even your earthly boss. Every move you make, everything that you do, every move you make, every step you take, He'll be watching you. All right. There you go. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you. I knew I wanted to get that out. Oh, my gosh. If only we could cue up those lines when I needed them the most. 
Remember those old 80s songs that they would, the storyline was all the one-liners from the song? Anyway, I love you all so much. Learn the fear of the Lord. Men, learn the fear of the Lord. And understand the fear of God and the love of God go hand in hand. He's for you. He loves you. And even in discipline, discipline makes you a disciple. Discipline and discipleship are the same. I'm a disciple because I'm disciplined. Do you understand? So now the things you may want to do or say or act, you don't anymore because you're now a disciple of him. And if you did act out, you repent quickly and you do what David did. It'll make you a man and woman after God's own heart. See, David was an adulterer and a murderer, but he was still called a man after God's own heart. And even though he bombed it and blew it and got disciplined for it, and it was harsh discipline, by the way. It was, it was intense. But it was what he did could afford an entire messianic line and an entire nation. That's how big that was, by the way. What made him a man after God's own heart is when he bombed it, he ran to God and not from it, and he owned it. He says he ripped his clothes and he was broken and repentant before the Lord. And he wrote Psalm 51. You know how many times I've read Psalm 51 in my shortcomings and failures? I have read Psalm 51 a thousand times. A thousand times. And you realize God can renew a right spirit inside of you. Every single time. Okay? Let's all stand. Close your eyes for just a moment. We had a, a real encounter with the Lord at the end of last service. And I believe he's here to touch you just like then. The angel of the Lord has made a campsite around your life. He's for you. He's not against you. When you stay humble and broken and walk in the fear of the Lord. This is really the, the root of this message comes back to the Father's heart. He's a good dad. You're a good dad, Lord. Forgive us, God, for being prideful.
sorry, God. Just tell him. stubbornness. Forgive us, God, for our trespasses. Lead us away. teachable. And thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Have mercy, God. And I thank you so much, Lord, that you're always there. I'd like to ask my ministry team and prayer partners to come up, please. If you have bombed it, blew it, struggling, with your past, come up and tell somebody. Let them pray for you. If you need comfort and encouragement, come and let somebody pray for you. If you're battling with sickness, 
lack of peace, let somebody pray for you. If you need guidance and direction, let somebody pray for you. And whatever you do when you leave here today, walk in the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, instruction, guidance, dependency, favor. You can do it. We're all in it together. We're all rowing the same boat together. So I love you. I believe in you. Be restrained. Get that yoke around your neck. It's full of peace and joy and rest. It'll make your life a lot easier. If you want somebody to pray for you, prayer partners are up here. They'll stand in agreement with your life. Lord, I just bless everyone here and this time that we've had to be together. Thank you for teaching this church and all of us the fear of the Lord. I bless everybody that's been watching online. And I thank you so much, God, for their homes and their families and their cities. And I thank you for what you're doing there and in them. Thank you for our community. Thank you, God, for enabling us to have a mighty impact in the world around us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.